Good job. Good to see you today. Uh, if you are a Saturday night person and 40% of our weekly attendance is Saturday night, had to make a decision, kind of, you know, that storm, it was one, we certainly have had church in thicker snow, but it was so slick and we just didn't want to take a chance with people's lives. And then Pastor Todd, having the plows all get here, they were getting here right around that time, and it made more sense to give them the room to get it all done than to work around cars and all the things that would happen then. So if you're a Saturday night person, we had to move you to Sunday. I hope you understand why we did it. I look out. I'm very pleasantly surprised to see you all here. It was, when I left to come to church, it was still a little slick on my street. Um, Main roads were good, but it's just... um, It's a pleasure to see you here this morning, so welcome and glad that you're here. Before I teach, I wanted to do something. I was going to come out during worship and do it, but there wasn't. I didn't feel a place that that wouldn't have interrupted the flow of what the Lord was doing. Our worship team um, this week in particular is one example, but really over the last several months, just all sorts of weird spiritual warfare they've been going through. I don't know. I didn't ask how much I was allowed to share sicknesses, hospitalizations, uh, car accidents, just, and we all have them. When they get concentrated with a group of people week in and week out, there's something more to it than it's just accidental or coincidental, right? There's just some spiritual warfare going on there. And I just felt this morning the Lord said, hey, bring it in front of the church, have the church pray uh, over the worship team. So worship team, would you guys just stand to your feet, please? you're involved in it in any way. And that can be people who are part of production too. There's people in the back. There's people up in that room. They do so much. Yeah, that's what I think is woo too. And so here and here and here. Stand up for just a minute. And we're missing a couple. I don't see. Oh, there you are. You guys are uh, in the back. Um, Are you coming to the front? Well, come on right now. Yes. Hide out back there. Get on up here. So wherever they're standing, if you feel like you know how to pray, don't want you to counsel, don't want you to tell them, you know, advice, uh, just want you to pray for them right now. Ask the Lord's protection on their lives and ask the Lord to just watch over them, send angels, just whatever. If you want to go to where they're standing, pick out anybody. Don't want any of our worship people standing alone. I just want the church to get behind them right now. The rest of you, if you would, stretch your hands towards them. And if you say, Pastor, I don't know what to pray, pray blessing on them. If it were you, what would you want God to do for you? You'd want him to keep you, protect you, watch over you, keep your family safe, keep your body safe, uh, your finances. Some of them are having some financial issues. It's just crazy how much. And so, Heavenly Father, we come before you right now. And you are so faithful and you are so good. And Lord, you're doing such a good thing in worship at Jubilee, Lord. We just agree, Father God, it's going in the right direction. It's like uh, entering your courts with thanksgiving uh, and entering the house with praise, Lord. It draws us into you. It prepares the heart. Father, they're having to put up with some static from the enemy, but it hasn't knocked them backwards. So I just pray when the enemy comes in like a flood, you said you'll raise up a standard. Let it be a standard, God, that the enemy has no answer for, no trickery for, no lie for, that, God, you'll bring health, peace, Sleep, children at rest, uh, health in their bodies, in their minds, in their souls, Lord God. 
health, Lord God, around them. Go before them. Put your rear guard behind them. Lord, bless what they put their hands to, Father God. Make their burden easy and light, Jesus. That's what you said. Make it easy and light. Let them always turn to you, no matter what else is going on, Father God. And remember uh, what it is that you're doing with them, Lord. Take them up higher so they can lead us higher, Father. And thank you for them right now. And we pray and believe it in Jesus' name. Amen Amen. and amen. All right. Let's give those guys a hand. Got a little frog in my throat this morning. Um, All right, Terry mentioned it's called Matters of the Heart. And it's not just we're in February and February has Valentine's Day. And so let's do a cute message on Matters of the Heart. If you go here a length of time, you know that there are no cute messages. (laughs) I guess it depends on who's who's teaching. Yeah, yeah. Terry might have a cute message. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Mine somehow turns into a... A, here, let me go for your heart is my, my message. So I um, <clears throat> want to warn you, fair warning right up ahead of time. I uh, prayed about this. It is what I wrote. I felt like the Lord gave it to me, but I do feel like it is one of those ones that could be misunderstood for this reason. Uh, I'm going to kind of challenge you on what's the one thing that keeps you from loving Jesus with everything in your heart, right? What's the one thing that holds you back? Uh, You got 99%, even 99.9% of it, right? Yet you got that one thing that just, you end up weighing that against uh, going all in for Jesus or loving Jesus with all. And Jesus actually, uh, you know, he addresses this and uh, directs uh, a person on what they're to do to handle that. And in that story, it's kind of sad because the person can't do it. He can't love God with all. He's so close, but he can't do it with all. And then... um, I felt like the Lord gave me, I want you to share an example of something I challenged you recently, semi-recently, to go all in with me. And the problem is this. I wrestled with my wife over and over again, like, should I really teach this? I don't want it to come across like we're saying something about ourselves. That's never, it's with great humility that I always try to stand up here. And um, and when I share things, it's not because I'm like, hey, look at, look at how great we are. It's usually the other side of it. Look where we're struggling, right? So that other people realize we're not up here. We're in the same place that you are, loving the same Jesus that you love and trying to get to heaven too, right? And when I say trying to get to heaven, we're trying to get ourselves to heaven. Jesus does that. But that's, we're all in the same boat. And we all need a savior. But I just, I'm willing to risk being misunderstood because I feel like If you can catch this, it's ultra important, and clearly Jesus did teach this. Clearly, there are good and bads with it, and so pray for the pastor this morning, too, and Lord, it's your word. It's just my honor to teach it, and I want to do it in a humble way, but I want to do it in an upright way. I want to do it, Father God, straightforward. I want to bring honor and glory to you. I want the Holy Spirit to be able to move in a powerful way. I want people's lives to be changed. Seems like I'm asking for a lot, but you're the God who can do a lot. You can do a lot today, Father God. Lord, we give our hearts to you. Church, would you uh, trust me as I pray this prayer? Uh, Lord, for people that haven't even heard the message yet, I believe there are people here that once they discover there might be something that's keeping them from going all in and loving you, that, Lord, they'll be willing to deal with it. It may take time. Some can do it instantly. 
others, it may take a little time, but ultimately we all don't want anything in the way of you being it for us, Lord. 100% above all, in all, and through all. So lead the words, Father God. Pleasant words promote instruction. So, Lord, I'm yours today. Thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, matters of the heart. These are the two opening scriptures, Proverbs 4.23, which in 25 years, I try to weave this scripture into at least uh, one of the messages that I'm teaching in a series just to remind people um, because it begins with above all else. Like if the scriptures use the words above all else, that should call, if you're a Christ follower, right? You love Jesus. You've made him the Lord of your life. And then we have a scripture that says above all else, clear your ears out, rub your eyes, lean forward and pay attention, right? Above all else, do what? Look, guard your heart above all else. You know, the Bible is full of instructions, especially Proverbs. It's the book of wisdom. There are so many things in it that if you just do it, whether you're a believer or not a believer, it's beneficial for you. You can build your life on it. But then you have this that's like, man, it's the coup de grace. It's up here. Guard your heart above all else for this reason. It determines the course of your life. So many of us want a good life. We want a life of purpose. We want a life that matters. We want, a, we want to know why we're here. And it starts in my mind right here. Guard your heart so that God has a clean slate to work with. When you open your heart to so many things, it waters down what God wants for you. It weighs you down. Does that make sense? Anyone in here live long enough to know you can get a lot of stuff in your heart? What happens is your heart can be divided in a lot of different ways. And then God says this, and you may want to go that way, but you've given your heart to so many other things. And serving Jesus is an all-or-nothing proposition. Thank you, first two rows. I'm going to say it one more time. The answer is you're right, Pastor. Serving God is an all-or-nothing proposition. You're right, Pastor. Yes. Even the Kansas City Chief guy. Oh, don't, don't. He loves it. Don't do it. He feeds on it. He, th- he gets stronger if you do that. And all we can do is take it right now. That's it. We just got to shake it off. Huh? Huh? <laughs> okay. Luke chapter 645. Uh, Jesus' words on this matter, and the importance that he puts on it is this. I use the amplified. I know it adds extra words to it, but it just, I just loved, um, I loved how it wrote it. So the intrinsically, meaning these things can't be divided from each other. Uh, Intrinsically, a good man produces what is good and honorable and moral out of the good treasure stored in his, in his heart. You can't separate them from each other. And then he gives the flip side to the coin, and the intrinsically evil man produces what is wicked, depraved, out of the evil, where? And then here's here's what you're able to see it uh, manifest in. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of his heart. So the overflow is the ongoing conversation. It's not what somebody says one time. I pointed this out. I, I was traveling I, this a few years ago, and I'd accepted these invitations to speak at different places, and I tried to cram them as close together so that it wasn't spread out through the year. I'll just go get this all done. 
And I would, I'd finish up one, jump on a plane, be someplace else. I did this three or four um, weeks in a row. And have you ever, those who travel, this has ever happened to you, you wake up in the middle of the night in a very dark hotel room and you can't remember what city you're in. You don't know where you are. I mean, literally my mind draws a blank as to where I am. And I woke up in a panic, like, where am I? And I jumped up out of the bed and it's pitch dark in a room and I ran right into the wall trying to get to the... Just wham, knocked me down. I was glad no one was there to see it. John, have you done that? You travel a lot. Oh, you would never do that, would you, John? You're, yeah, yeah. You all the time. Stubbed my toe when I did it, and out came a word that I hadn't said for two, two or three minutes. Um, no, uh, many years, many years, right? And, and so I get up. It hurt so bad. It brought tears to my eyes. I finally find where the light switch is. Oh, yeah, I remember where I'm at. So where did that come from? That's not the overflow of the heart. You know where that came from? My toe. <laughs> was living inside of my toe. And when I stubbed my toe, it came out. If I talk that way all the time, look at me. That's the overflow of the heart. That's the overflow. It means the, the normal root of a conversation, what comes out of your mouth all the time. So you can tell the fruit in a person's life by what they talk about all the time. If they're cursing everything, and I don't mean using a... a a curse word, although it could be that, but if everything's just negative and everything's bad, you could probably get an idea that that's what's going on inside of their heart right now, right? It doesn't make them a bad person. They've fallen into a trap is what's happened. And the Bible's just so good, it points this out to us. Pay attention. Guard your heart. Because out of it's going to come the direction of your life. And Jesus takes it even further. It's not what goes in that defiles you. It's what's going to come out that defiles you. Pharisees were great at trying to keep certain things out. I won't watch, I won't touch, I won't eat, I won't drink. But their hearts were defiled. And Jesus taught it's not what goes in that defiles you. It's what's coming out of the heart that's defiled. Where's your heart at? What's going on in your heart? Does that make sense? All right, so just a little, little thing on the matters of the heart. The Bible has a lot to say about the heart. You should read that and pay attention to that. It's so important. It will help you through the bad times. It will help you through the good times. It will help you when you don't know what to do. So I titled the message, the one thing I'm going to use, Mark 10, 17 through 22 is the text. You can follow along with me. It'll be on the sideboards here. Uh, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Let me stop. Uh, ultimate question that every human on the earth should ask. How do I go to heaven? What must I do to be saved? Nobody ever goes accidentally. You need to know that. I do a lot of funerals. One of the things I'll say into it, not about the person in the casket, but about the people sitting there. If you want to go to heaven, nobody gets there accidentally. You don't wake up and go, oh, surprise, I made it. Nope. Nope. Heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. Do you understand that? Yes, thank you in the back back there. Thank you. Dude, you should be sitting up front here. I give you permission I knight thee, sir, front row. <clears throat> it's a prepared place for prepared people. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life or be saved? Um, why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Jesus isn't saying he's not God. He's actually trying to get them to realize, why do you call me good? Do you do it because you want something for me or you recognize 
that I'm God in the flesh right now. That's the nature of his answer. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Uh, that's 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9 of the 10. So Jesus just quotes quickly 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. What was wrong with 1 through 4? 1 through 4 is not the problem. 10 really is going to be the issue, but we'll get there. Teacher, he declared, kind of happy, maybe smug. All of these I have kept since I was a boy. Now, this is funny because the guy comes, kneels before Jesus. What must I do to be saved? So Jesus just throws out these Ten Commandments, and the guy goes, yes, I'm doing all of these things. So I want you to think about this. If he really is doing all these things, and let's give him the benefit of the doubt. He's doing all of these things. What's missing that he still needs to come to Jesus to ask, what must I do to be saved? He knows in his heart it's not enough to try to keep the law. He knows it. Something inside of him intrinsically cannot be divided. He knows just keeping the law is not going to do this. Jesus' question was, hey, do this, but have you ever blown it? He's merciful for not asking that. How many times does it take to blow it? How many of you have blown it once with the Ten Commandments? Today? Right now? Thou shalt not lie? Come on. Let's get on my side with this message. We're all short on this, yes? So that's why the guy knows it's not enough. If he felt confident that keeping the Ten Commandments was enough, he doesn't need to come to Jesus. He should feel good before God. But he doesn't feel good before God. That's why he comes to Jesus, even though he thinks he's kept the Ten Commandments. So Jesus is actually trying to get him to see something. He's not telling him the law will save you. He's trying to get him to recognize something. So you don't, you don't steal. You don't give false testimony. Don't defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all of these things I have kept since I was a boy. I love this part. Jesus looked at him and what? Genuinely loved him. This is not talking down to somebody. It's not somebody he's angry at or somebody that's like, you guys, you just never get it. He literally loved him. I think when we talk to him too, he literally loves us. The answer that he gives us is bathed in love, wanting our best, wanting to pull us towards himself. There's no stupid question here. There's just this incredible love. And then Jesus puts his finger right on the issue. Yes, you've done all these things, but one thing you lack. Don't you wish it was just one thing? (laughs) One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. So let me stop and ask you for an honest answer here. What is this story really about? Is the context of this about money? It's not, is it? Money's just the thing. What's the story really about? 
Todd, you were first. What did you say? Idolatry. Idolatry. Yeah. Number 10, you know. But someone over here said it too. What, what did you say? It's about the heart. It really is about the heart. So I think many well-meaning pastors use this to teach on money, but I don't think this really is about money. It just happens to be this guy's one thing. We all have, church, look at me. We all have one thing. Every one of us in this room has something that keeps us from going all in. Something that we're doing all of the other things. You're even here this morning. You made it through the snow. You love Jesus. And yet, we'll read a message like this, and then the pastor will confront us and say, what is your one thing? I, I have no idea. And aren't you glad? Seriously, aren't you glad that God doesn't tell the pastor what all the problems are in the people's lives? See, I don't want to know. That's an overwhelming thing. I have enough dealing with my own stuff. But I do know enough that I have a one thing, and this guy has a one thing. And as I've pastored along people a, a, a long period of time, I realize there's always something, sometimes more than, but usually there's something keeping a person from being able to go all. It just... I'll tell you what it is. It's on equal footing with Jesus. You love Jesus, but you also love this. And as long as no one points it out, you think you're okay. But in the back of your mind, the question is, how am I doing? So when we love grace, grace is God's unmerited favor. And we're saved not by our works, but we're saved by what Jesus did, right? And then Jesus comes and teaches this message, and he stretches it a little bit further. Man, I'm glad that you realize that it's not working for you, so let me tell you what to do. I want you to get rid of the thing that's between me and you and come be my follower. Don't be my fan. Don't clap for me. Don't cheer for me. Don't tell me that you like me or that you love me. Come follow me. Be my disciple. I said it this way one time. Salvation is this all open, all encompassing, whosoever will may come. Salvation is free because Jesus paid the price. But discipleship will cost you everything. If you want to be a disciple, there's a requirement to bend your knee to the Lordship that says, I will put nothing in front of you. One of the commandments that Jesus didn't mention was idolatry. Idolatry is anything we put in front of Him. Anything we love equal, or in some cases more. And how do we find out? We listen to a message like this, and we don't leave mad. <laughs> Who are you, and what is your name? <laughs> There was a time when Jesus was asked, which one is the greatest commandment? Of the ten, which is the greatest? Really, an observant Jew is trying to keep 613 of them. But the Bible boils it down to the great ten. And then, even beyond that, Jesus is asked a question by a Pharisee, a teacher of the law who knew the law really well, and was on his path to try to figure out if Jesus is the real thing. And so we find this conversation. One of the teachers of the religious law was standing there 
listening to the ongoing debate. He realized that Jesus had answered very well. So he asked Jesus this question of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the one and only Lord, you must love the Lord your God with half your heart. You must love him with most of your heart. You must love him with... How much is all? All? I just want you to think about this for a minute. Here's the most important commandment. It's not don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Don't bear false witness. The most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, all your heart, and the second is equally important, love your neighbor like you love yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. The teacher of the religious law replied, well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth by saying that there is only one God and no other. And I know it is important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all the burnt offerings and sacrifices required by the law. Wow, this guy's getting it. Realizing realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. What a brilliant answer. The greatest commandment is to love God with all. Do you know what Jesus was teaching this young man when he knelt before him? You're doing all of these things, but the greatest one is to love God with everything. So, here's your one thing. Your money has gotten in the way. So sell it, give it away to the poor, and then come follow me, and you'll have exactly what you're looking for. And the man was unwilling to make Jesus number one in his life. And he walked away sad. Am I telling the truth right now? So when we talk about a Pharisee, we always think of what a dirty, rotten person a Pharisee must have been. You know Pharisees are still alive today. Pharisees are people who know the word well. Who love God and try to live their lives in a particular way. But they get sidetracked. They think by doing all the stuff, that's where I find life. And life is only found in serving Jesus. You'll never find life in a lifestyle. You'll only find life in life. So, Pastor, you're saying we can't have money? I said this isn't about money. But if you're sitting there thinking only about money, I wonder why. Yes or no? What gets in the way of making Jesus number one? I've learned through life a person can be... We can commit idolatry with a person. This person is more important to me. My life can't be lived without this person. I love you, God, but you would never ask me to give up this person. Oh, I would because I want to be number one. The throne has one seat, not two. And I won't share your affection with someone else. So your choice, I won't do anything about it. But since you're asking... Give them up and make me number one. And so those of us who think that's not my problem, we're like, how difficult could that be? 
exceptionally difficult for so many reasons. Maybe it's a career. I've worked so hard to get here. It brings so much to me and it does so much for me and I help people with it. But if it's become the number one thing above God even, are you in a place where if God said, give it up and follow me, that you could do it? Don't have to answer me. It's all rhetorical. I hesitate to go down the line of what the things are because for each person sitting in this room, I, I doubt I could name what everyone's thing is. Honestly, I don't want to try. But the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And the next one is equally important. Love your neighbors yourself. And everything after that is after that. So the fill in the blank was just simply, what's your one thing? Mark 10, 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, one thing. Sell everything, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. You know what's funny? If this guy was willing to do it, how happy he would have been. How many of you in this room have discovered the pearl of great price, and that's why you're here? Do you know what I'm talking about? No? Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who buys a field, and in the field he finds a pearl of great price. Excuse me. He's looking at a field to buy. And while he's looking at the field, he finds a pearl of great price. He hides it. He runs away. He sells everything that he has so he can purchase this field. And he gets this pearl of great price. That's the kingdom of heaven. When you discover the joy that comes from serving God, loving God, knowing God, nothing else in the world is worth it. And you'll sell everything else to get this thing that brings you such happiness. And it's the reason that so many Christians... You're so close. You're so close. But there's that one thing. Just that one thing. Can Pastor John talk this way today? Yes. Oh, Chris and I debated it, debated it, debated it. It gets a little harder. Uh-oh. I noticed you didn't clap on that one right there. <laughs> okay, can I say this to you? Every one of us should be willing to ask God... Is there anything that I love more than I love you? I wrote in my notes, it can be difficult if he speaks to it, and it can be painful when we realize it. The beautiful thing is, the Lord doesn't expose it in front of everybody else. It'll just be between, between us and him. It'll just be between us and him. Okay, I'm going to back off of you, and I'm going to do what I do. Get the fillet knife out and open my heart. What was mine? At the risk of being misunderstood, please give me grace. Please give me the benefit of the doubt. Please assume my heart was always in the right place. My thing <clears throat> had become security. That sounds strange, security. What kind of security? 
Like personal security, like something's going to happen to you? No. Um, I need to explain it this way. Uh, our lives have been lived a little bit different than most of the people in this room. Most pastors are. Um, when we go to college, we're not trying to figure out which major is going to pay us the most money. They don't offer that. And in fact, if you need that, you're not even looking at ministry, to be honest with you. You see the guys on TV who are super wealthy? They're doing it the wrong way. Do you see the guys on TV who are doing it the wrong way? They're super wealthy. They're doing it the wrong way. This wasn't meant to be a means for great gain. That's what the Bible says. Doesn't mean you can't make enough to take care of your family. It doesn't mean that your family shouldn't be able to go to college. Doesn't mean that you can't drive a nice car. It doesn't mean any of that. But if your ambition is, I'm going to get rich and I'm going to be wealthy, you really shouldn't be a pastor because you're going to end up doing things with God's money that you shouldn't do. That's what's going to happen. I've just done it too long and I'm telling you the truth right now. So security, we had made a decision about security many, many years ago in our lives. We just said to the Lord, our lives belong to you, and we'll go wherever you tell us to go, and we'll gladly do it. And every job we went to, we never asked, how much does it pay? We asked, God, do you want us to go there? And then we went there. And I've shared some of the ridiculous things. Our first full-time job uh, as youth pastors, we were paid $24,000 a year, and we had to pay our own insurance out of that. And pastors are exempt from Social Security, and that church didn't collect Social Security. So we paid, you pay seven and a half, we paid 15% of our Social Security, and we paid for our insurance, and I had two little children, and I thought I had hit a gold mine. Because all I wanted to do was be in ministry and serve Jesus. That was it. And I got there, and I thought, Hallelujah. And the Lord did all sorts of wonderful things for us that I know many of you would consider to be the most embarrassing thing in the world. People would bring us groceries, and we would see it as a miracle. We thought, wow, God really does hear our prayers. He knows. Money would come at the exact moment we needed it. I have testimonies about things. It built my faith in a way that allowed me to say yes to God in other situations. So never asked in any situation. Part of that was Terry Hilger's fault. Because Terry was my mentor, and I would call him and say, hey, should I talk about money? And Terry's like, John, I never took a job where I asked about money first. The question is, does God want you there? He'll take care of the rest if you do. So I did that. And the Lord blessed us, and he props, prospered us. And so we were at Resurrection Fellowship up in Fort Collins, and uh, we went for $32,000 to Reds. That was my big raise after six years, 24 to 32. And I thought, man, I don't know how many pastors make this kind of money. I was thinking we made more money than most pastors will ever make. And the Lord prospered us, but we didn't buy our first house until we were 35 years old. We bought it when we moved down here to start Jubilee. And there was no one to ask, how much will we get paid? There wasn't a group of people who wanted us or hoping we would get here. It was the Lord had called me in a dream to leave behind what we had there and come to Denver. And we did it gladly, and we did it without. It was the first time I've told that funny story. I said, Lord, you know this is going to cost money. We'll do it for $100,000. And all I get is crickets. Crick, 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 crick. 
So I'm magnanimous. God will do it for $50,000. Crick, 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 crick. All right, God. Can't pass on this deal. $25,000. Now, we'll go with a lot of equipment, but you'll provide it. Crick, crick, crick. $10,000? Finally, I said to the Lord, I'll go. I'll go. As soon as I said that, the Lord gave me a scripture from Genesis 3.5. The Lord God had not yet caused it to rain upon the earth because no man was there to till the field. And he said to me, if you're looking for where it's raining to decide if that's where you're going to go, you're going to miss it every time. I don't waste my rain. But if you go, it'll rain, John. It'll rain. Oh, my goodness. Did it ever rain for us? Ah. Things happened for us that didn't happen for anybody else, buildings and properties. We got paid good. Again, pastor pay, but it was good pastor pay. I remember when <laughs> he gave us a picture when our son David wanted to go to Butler. Um, we just hadn't been able to put the money away for it. We were hoping they were all going to go to state schools, and he wanted to go to Butler. And my friend, John Dunn, I saw you, John. John and Kathy were Butner, Butner alumnus. And I called and said, man, our son uh, is thinking about Butler. He wants to play football. And John said, oh, I think it'd be a great school. And they did some things to make his end to Butler happen. But there was still a huge tuition. And I remember we applied for financial aid. I went to see a guy that helps with that. He's just right over here in Lone Tree. Um, and he sat down with me. Okay, what do you do? Oh, you're a pastor. Well, how much do you make? And showed it to him. And he was like, I saw his mouth open. But not in a good way. Right? And he's like, okay, I know what we're going to do. We're going to write this school and we're going to tell them you've lived your life a different way. And what you don't have in savings, you have done for people. He said, you know, had you started a business with as well as your church has done, a business person could have sold it and been a millionaire. And he said, that's a powerful thing. And that's something that you're never going to... Hearing things like that are not always good for a person. So he writes, and I sign it. And Butler gave us, I don't know, half each year half and sometimes more than half of the tuition because we were pastors. And instead of getting our pay and money, it was in what we were doing for people. And someone at Butler, John, I don't even know who the woman was, but whoever you had, you had somebody very special who Chris and I, we wept over that and thanked the Lord for it, never questioned but then, here was the weird thing that happened to us. We started getting older. And then, I don't know what happens when you get older, but you start considering things you never considered before, like, is there an end to this? How much longer can we keep doing this? And what will happen when we no longer can do this? So I went to the board, and I talked to the board, and the board's like, we need to think about what you're going to do for the future. But, you like... Again, please, I'm taking a chance of being misunderstood. The first six, seven, eight years, every time the church did better, we wouldn't take a raise. We used the money to hire somebody because it wasn't important for us to make more money. It was important to get people who could do more ministry. It was just how we saw life. And 
We lived that way, and we weren't up telling everybody that every weekend. That wasn't, wasn't it. We were happy to do what God told us to do, and God blessed us. He took care of our family. Maybe not conventionally, but unconventionally. And believe it or not, we were like, we were great with the unconventional because it was God moving on our behalf. But then this thing started happening as we got closer to 60. Hey, how many more years do you have? I don't know. You better put something away because pastors don't have social security. And what you save is what you're going to have. And I went years without doing it because we had given up everything else. And the money wasn't there to do that. So we try our best to start socking it away and the church does something for us. And we get up to where it's a fairly good amount. And then the last three years happen. And they were some super tight years here. And we move into the building, and I think, okay, we're there, and everything's going to be great. And it was not the greatest year in ministry I had ever had, to be honest with you. And I can't even, it's not even worth going there. But, um, <clears throat> and I'm dealing with security more than ever. And then here's how I knew it became more important than the Lord. My prayers were more about security, and my thoughts were more on security than they were on God. So I'm giving you away. Maybe for you it's a person, a child, a marriage. All important things. I'm not, security is an important thing. You agree? Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying anything about it. I, but the Lord tells Chris and I, <laughs> give me your security. Oh, that couldn't have been the Lord. Devil, we rebuke you. <laughs> Get behind us. You are such a liar. You are such a liar. And the truth of the matter is, the longer that thing, you're making a choice, the longer you let it be as important or more important than the Lord, your justification, your heart, it grows heavy, your burden grows heavy, that joy and that love and the reason you serve God, all of it just begins to dim. I don't know how to explain this to you, it dimmed. And we wrestled long enough, and I'm not for doing this every weekend. If you go here, you know I don't do this. But we, we wrote the check, and we gave it to the church, and amen that we did that. And um, I wrote this in my notes. If you think I'm crazy, if you think I'm an idiot, then you probably should stick around just to see how it all turns out. And you said, Pastor, how it's going to turn out? I have no idea. I really honestly have no idea. And that's why I'm not preaching this message. Let me tell you why I'm preaching um, this message. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble, gentle in heart, and you will find what? For your souls. For my yoke is? And the burden I give you is? As soon as we made the decision to do it, as soon as we made the decision to do it, that joy and that love and that reason that when we were crazy kids, we got into this, all came back to us. Our love for God's people, our love for his word, our love for pastoring our church, our love for getting up and teaching. I don't know if you can tell, I'm having the best time I've ever had teaching. 
Can you tell? I mean, I think health is one of those things you can just see in a person when they're, even what they're teaching. We're having the best time we ever had. Jesus' words are true. And if you are heavy and burdened and laid down and your joy is gone, I'm going to risk, I'm going to risk saying you're not carrying the yoke and the weight that you should be carrying. Something's gotten in there. And you know the funny thing? I don't have anything for you to do with this message. This took me a few months to wrestle my way through. What I'm hoping is at least those of you who hear my words will consider what I'm saying. And if there's anything there, will you at least take it to God and ask him? I don't need you to do anything. I don't need you to worry about me. Look, my hope is not in people. My hope is in God, but my heart is with people. Okay? Hear that. Hear what I'm saying. Okay, here's where it gets tough. Not everyone who says, here's the fill in the blank, Lord, Lord. This verse used to bother me, bother me, bother me, bother me. Let me read it to you, Matthew 7, 21 through 23. By the way, I believe in grace, I teach grace, but these are Jesus' words. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. This is not the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. And it continues. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and we cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's what? Because let me connect dots real quickly. Jesus is asked the question by the astute Pharisee. What's the most important commandment? Another word for commandment is law. They're literally interchangeable. His commandments are his law, and his law are his commandments. And the greatest commandment is to what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. I totally believe in grace. We don't get to heaven by our efforts and our merits, and yet Jesus is teaching the most important one is that God has to be first in your life, yes or no? And it's easy to fool yourself on that. And here Jesus is teaching on Judgment Day, people sent, you know what it is about this that bothers me? I'll tell you what bothered me about it. These people aren't joking, they're deadly serious on Judgment Day. Lord, Lord, expecting a good answer. Lord, Lord, I don't know you. Yeah, but we prophesied and we preached. And we did miracles and we did them in your name. Go away from me. Because I don't know who you are. You're lawbreakers. I think he's saying, you did these things, but I was not number one. And it mattered. But you're a grace preacher. Up until the point Jesus says a hard thing too. It's a hard thing, yes or no? I knew, I'm, I can see the looks on your face. That's why I didn't want to preach it. So I don't want to confuse you. I don't want you to go home and be law keepers. I want you to be people who love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. I think you will thank me if you can figure out what the one thing is, and then you have the courage to deal with it. That's what I think. And I think too many pastors are afraid to say this because they're afraid of what people will do, especially the day that we live in today. I don't have to take that. I don't have to listen to that. Who does that pastor think he is? You'll judge my heart. You know what? He's trying to get our money. My 
When Jesus said, I never knew you, there's two definitions for know in the Bible. To know by experience or to know by definition. I think a lot of people know him by definition, but they don't know him by experience. When you experience him, you're willing to do what he tells you to do. When you know him by definition, Jesus is safe when you know him by definition. He's dangerous. Dangerous to our way of life. Is that fair? Jesus actually tells them to go away. In another translation, he says, go away into outer darkness. Will people miss heaven because of this issue? Wow. Did Pastor John just say that? I did. Broad is the way, and many who walk on it, and narrow is the way, and few who find it. Every great scripture we base everything we believe and hope on. There are also some other scriptures that must be considered along the way. Salvation is whosoever will may come. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Discipleship, bow your knee. It becomes very narrow. Very narrow. So, Pastor, what would you have us do with this message? Now that you've messed us up so bad. What would you have us do with this message? Only this. Would you listen to me, please? Only this. Would you be brave enough, humble enough, honest enough to go before the Lord and ask Him if there's anything in your life that's keeping you from making Him your everything? Is there one thing in your life there wasn't mine. I don't think it would have kept me out of heaven, but it sure made my life really miserable here and now. And that's what I'm trying to say to you. My burden was heavy, heavy. And you heard it in what I was teaching. You heard it in the comments I was making. If you're honest, think about just the last two years. What things was Pastor John saying? That was the hardest year I've ever had. Did you hear me say that? I don't know what God's doing. I feel lost. I really said those words from the pulpit. Not a good thing when the pastor's lost. Where's our leader? Oh, he's lost. Pastor's not lost. Pastor's good. I asked you when we started that, what was that passage of scripture about? Was it about money? You told me no. It was about the one thing. I don't know what your one thing is. It's one of these days as pastor, I have to stand up here and I have to be bold as a lion and say it because I love people. And my job, never forget my job. Guys, never forget my job. I care for your soul. I have to get your soul ready to meet the bridegroom. That's my job. It's not to say what people want me to say. It's to say what God wants me to say. I think most of the time... Listen, most of the time, it's an easier message to listen to. 
But when I wrote it, I told Chris, I don't how many times? I'm not going to preach this. I got to find. In fact, <laughs> when it snowed and we couldn't go to church yesterday, I told Chris, it's a sign the Lord does not want me to preach this message. He is telling me, don't do it. Don't do it. Some of you were like, you should have listened, preacher. I don't want anything from you except the boldness and the bravery to ask that question. And then between you and the Lord, do what the Lord tells you to do. For me, it couldn't have happened in a service. I had to wrestle with... Kathy Melson said something years and years ago. We weren't even working here. We were working up at Resurrection. They were on staff there too, David and Kathy. And Kathy said this in our staff meeting, and it just always stuck with me. You may not even remember saying this, but you say, you said, if John hears God say something, he'll do it regardless of the cost. He'll do it regardless of the cost. May that always be true of me. When I cross the finish line, may it be I was doing everything God told me to do. I don't want to cross holding on to things that I thought were more important or that I thought at another time I'll handle. If this is shaking you up a little bit, so be it. I love you. I only preach it because I love you. I have no judgment in my heart. I have no expectation of what this will mean or what you'll do. My hope is that you'll get before the Lord and if the Lord shows you something between you and Him, you'll do business. And... If you don't hear anything, then don't act guilty and do anything. Be free. Be free. He'll write His law upon your heart. What He wrote on mine is not what He'll write on yours. Pray for your pastor. Give me the benefit of the doubt in a message like this. Why I would preach it. Why I would teach it. It really is because church guys in the back, guys in the middle those I know and those that I don't. I take serious what I do. I love what I do. And I fear the Lord more than I fear people rejecting what I have to say. I fear the Lord. I'll have to answer to Him someday for what I did say and what I didn't say. That makes sense? Just give me the benefit of the doubt. So Lord, I love you. I pray it's a seed being cast right now. Church, this is one of those seeds like I talked talk last week. You've got to decide right now. Even if you don't understand it or you're not sure that you agree with it or you don't know if you're ready for it, don't let the devil steal this seed. Right now, in your heart, in your mind, see yourself pressing it down in your heart and telling the Lord, I will hold on to this seed till you tell me what it means for me. Don't blow me off. Don't say this is just too difficult. Don't refuse to deal with it because you know it's too hard. The promises of doing this are huge. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. The burden that you're under, give to me and I will give you mine. It's easy and it's light. You'll find rest and you'll find joy. You'll find the reason again. What freedom there is in being able to say, there's nothing. He's number one and there's nothing else. God, I pray for the courage in this room to do that. 
I pray for the reality in this room to do that. I pray that the Lord would allow you to do that soon and that the enemy of your soul can't keep you from doing it. You want to know what I think? I think when we talk about out-and-out revival, this is probably a step on the road to revival that there's nothing between me and God being one and only. He can have whatever he wants. Father, take this word, bury it deep in the hearts. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to speak to your people, God. Lord, I pray right now that the liar can't twist this, can't mess with this. I pray that if people don't understand this, Lord, you will give them truth, bring people into their pathway to help explain it. Lord, draw people. You are so good. You are so good. You're not mean. You're not harsh. You're not ugly. You're not out to get us. But Lord, this is a thing that we wrestle with. Please, Lord, help us. I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.